So friends, today is the day. We've been doing this study called Don't Be Okay With Being Okay and understanding exactly what happens when we become complacent in our faith in following Jesus Christ. And we followed the story of Elijah, this prophet who came from nowhere, who ended up challenging the king of a nation who had pulled an entire people away from worshiping God. And so last week, if you remember, uh, we said it was the, the final showdown where Elijah had met on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal. And after a day of these prophets trying to call Baal down to show up and prove that he is God, Elijah made one request to God. And in one single act of God's power, all of Israel was reminded at how big God was. And so you would think after this event where all these things took place and where Elijah rounded up all these prophets of this false god and he slaughtered them so that they would no longer have influence over God's people, you would think that everything was good and wonderful and Israel had returned to the Mayberry that God had told them that they were to be. But as we're going to read today, uh, as we continue on with Elijah's story, as we finish up where we're going to walk along with Elijah in this journey, you will see that even though Elijah was faithful to God, even though Elijah did everything that God told him to do, and even though Elijah stood for God, even though the circumstances in front of him were saying that he was bound to be killed and he was bound to be defeated, you're going to realize that even though Elijah did all these things, that things don't go according to how you and I would think they should go. That God's intervention in the life of his people did not turn them back to him, and everything was not continuing on the way that we would think with God showing up in such a wonderful and powerful way would go. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings. We're going to go to chapter 19. And we're going to continue on. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness, and he sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he laid down, and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him, and the angel told him, Get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him, and he said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and he drank, and then on the strength from that food, he walked forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he entered a cave and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great wind and, and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and now they're looking for me to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphath, from Abel Melahah, as the prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, as I told you, this big moment on Mount Carmel happened where Elijah stood in front of the whole nation of Israel and he proved that it was the Lord God alone who was the actual true God. And he proved that these three years of drought were due to the fact that he had told Ahab at that certain time when he confronted him years earlier that it would not rain a drop as long as Ahab and Jezebel continued to lead Israel away from God. So you would think now that God came down in a pillar of fire and not only burned up a sacrifice but also burned up all the wood and also lapped up all the water that was poured on the sacrifice, and then even burnt up the stones that were used for the altar, you would think any common sense person would go, okay, maybe there's a little bit of truth to this. Maybe our ancestors, and maybe all these stories that we have grown up hearing, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. And obviously Baal is not real because he hasn't shown up for the last three years and all day long 450 of his prophets were calling him but he still didn't show up. But as we've learned from human history, that's not always the case. And so Elijah reacts probably the way that most people would. He begins to see that everything that he has done was all in vain. And he gets to this place where he knows not what else to do, but not what else to do. That's great English. I don't know where that came from. He doesn't know what else to do besides run away. And it says that he journeyed for a time of 40 days and 40 nights. There's significance in 40 days and 40 nights. We don't know why it seems that God always wants to use 40 days and 40 nights. But I will tell you this, 40 days and 40 nights must be the period of time that the human brain needs in order to calm down. In order to quit getting in their own way in order to think. Because we see several times throughout scripture that God uses a period of 40 days and 40 nights to reset somebody's heart. So if you can imagine Elijah's condition, he has just spent all of his energy. I can imagine there was a little bit of anxiety happening that day on the mountain. Yes, he had seen God provide for him when he didn't have it. Yes, he had seen God provide for him and a widow and her son when she didn't have the resources. Yes, he had seen um, a little boy being brought back to life when he cried out to God. Yes. He knew that God was faithful, but could you imagine standing not only in front of a king who had been trying to kill you for three years, 
450 prophets of a false god who would love nothing more than to chop you up. And a whole nation of people that are standing against the message that you had to prepare. You can bet there was a little bit of anxiety going on. So you can imagine that once God came down and God uh, did this wonderful display of his power, there was a sense of victory and accomplishment in what Elijah had done. Everything that he had done up until this point was worth it. But nothing happened. Nothing changed in the life of Israel. It went back to business as normal. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you have worked so hard for something, where perhaps you had a mountaintop experience in your job or in your faith or in a relationship or something like that, and you were like that little puppy dog with your tail wagging, you were so excited, you were so glad and happy, and you just thought everybody was going to share in that excitement with you, only to find out that you were the only person that cared about that? You ever had one of those moments? So this is where Elijah was. But not only was Elijah like the little puppy dog with the tail wagging, Elijah had thought that he would be the one to turn Israel back to God. That for generation and generation and generation, Israel had been slowly moving away from worshiping God and worshiping false idols and worshiping themselves. And he just knew that he would be the one. That he would have the message that God would use him as the conduit by which everybody else would turn their hearts back to God. But it didn't happen. So you can imagine that he thought a little bit of what he was doing was futile. That he was spending all his time and his energy and nobody cared. And so it says that he ran away from God. And his statement was that I am no better than my father's. If you remember that Elijah was following a group of people who followed God, who trusted God, who knew God. That's how Elijah was able to stand in front of King Ahab and call him out for what he was doing. But here he says, I'm no better than my fathers. People who had lived their entire lives as faithful people and never accomplished anything by it. And so, God, if I can't stand on a mountain and have people turn back to you, I might as well die. I have no reason to live if I cannot call down fire from heaven and nobody change their heart. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever shared your faith, perhaps? Parents, have you ever tried to parent and teach your child something? Only to go to bed that night and go, they didn't understand a darn thing I said. Or they didn't care one bit about what I said. If they only knew how much trouble it was to sew that new shirt for them before school started. I don't know if that's still a thing if parents still do that. But, so you can imagine he had almost given up on God. But he had felt like God had given up on him even after all that stuff. You see, the same thing happens for us in our faith. We experience a mountaintop moment where God has shown us something that is so awesome and wonderful, and we promise ourselves that this is the thing that is going to take our faith to the next level. And because of what God has done in this instance, we are going to be the super Christian that everybody sees, that everybody follows, that everybody wants to be like. So we share it with one person, maybe our friend, maybe our spouse. We share it with one person, and they don't care. It's not a mountaintop experience for them. It's not a revelation for them. You have just discovered the greatest thing in the world and they don't even care. And so for us, it begins to lose its, its luster. It begins to lose its special place in our heart 
that allows us to be excited, that allows us to be this great herald of this thing that we have experienced. And much like Elijah, we retreat. Surely we don't go 40 days off into the wilderness. I mean, there are times I would like to go 40 days off into the wilderness. I'm just going to be honest with you. But we retreat and we begin to take this special, wonderful thing that God has done in our lives. And because somebody else has shown it to not be as important as we have, we take it back in. And we go back to living how we were. We go back to not being on that mountaintop. And after a while, it just becomes another thing in our life. And if we're lucky, we might get to pull it out two or three years later down the road. But if you'll notice on his journey, there were some things that happened along the way where you can see that God was moving in Elijah's life. Elijah didn't realize it, but because we have paid attention to his story, we can pick up on that. It says first that he sat under a broom tree. You know anything about broom trees? So broom trees have this really amazing root system that actually kind of generates heat. It actually takes heat and it holds heat in. But in the desert, when it's cold outside, you've got good covering over you that will hold in heat. And then you also have heat underneath you like an insulated blanket. Do you remember the very first part of Elijah's story where he had confronted Ahab and he had told Ahab, it's never going to rain again. It's not going to rain until you acknowledge that God alone is God. And he runs off to where God tells him to go out into the desert. You remember where he sends him to a desert? Okay, get this. It's a desert. There's not a lot of water. It's the beginning of a drought where there's not going to be a lot of water. And then he sends him to a temporary stream, a seasonal stream. A place that should not have resources, a place that should not have a way to sustain him. And yet God sends him there. Well, here again we see God sending him to the desert. But he sends him to a place that unbeknownst to him, unbeknownst to the unlearned eye, would be a place with no resources. But yet it is a place that provides warmth, a place that provides shelter from the elements. So God is again showing Elijah that he is faithful. Then it says that an angel said, hey, wake up, you need to eat. And he woke up and what was there? A hot loaf of bread baked over stones. Where did that come from? Does that sound familiar? Maybe when Elijah showed up at a widow's house in the middle of a drought when there were no resources, and he said, hey, can you make me a, a cake and bring it with me, bring it to me with some water? And she said, you know, I would love to, but I only have enough flour and oil left to make one loaf of bread, and me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to die, because it's all we have left. You remember what Elijah said? He said, if you'll bake that and you'll bring it to me, I promise you not only this, you and your son will eat today, but you'll continue to eat. Because God is going to provide for you what you need if you are faithful to God. Even in his desperation, even in his pessimistic moment where he was doubting God despite all the things that God had already done in his life, God was faithful to Elijah. Did you know that God does the same with you? Life is hard. And I think a lot of times we forget just how hard life is. I think a lot of times we look at other people's lives and how they may have messed up and how they may have done something wrong and we forget just how hard life is. But even like Elijah, 
the guy that should have above all other people perhaps in Scripture known that God is real and known that God is faithful, he, he got to a point where he doubted God's faithfulness because the things that God had been doing did not turn out the way that he would have thought that God would have wanted them to turn out. You would think that God would want everything to go awesome and wonderful and the next day there was a big crowd and a coronation and Ahab and Jezebel brought the whole nation back to God and it was all, like I said, Mayberry again. But it didn't happen that way. But even when Elijah was down on himself, even when life got hard and Elijah pulled away, God was faithful to him, even when he didn't realize it. And the same thing is true for us. Life is hard. A lot of times we don't give ourselves credit for realizing exactly what we live through. Yeah, our finances may be good. Yeah, our marriages and relationships may be good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all of life is easy. Perhaps we've got something within us that we struggle with each and every day. Perhaps we know who we are when nobody else is looking. Perhaps we're like Elijah and we wonder if everything that we're doing for God, this faith that we have for God, if it's worth it. If the, the, the prayers that we pray, if the things that we teach our children, if it's worth it. We look at the news, we look at social media, we hear people talk, and we wonder, God, is it worth it? Is this real? For us to say that you are powerful, for us to say that you are strong, and then for all these things to happen, how can all of this happen if we have the news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that Jesus Christ took away from us what we deserved because we had turned away from God. And the world doesn't care to hear it. Our neighbors don't want to hear it. Our friends don't want to hear it. So is it worth it? God is still faithful. Even when we don't see God moving in amazing and powerful ways, God is still moving. So fun fact to realize this morning, it was a year ago today that we were sitting in this room talking about this very same passage of Scripture. Did you know that? It was a message that I had learned when I was probably in the 10th grade. And I wanted to share it with you because I, I, it has this neat little word map with it. If you'll remember, it's eat, nap, road map. God's house, quiet as a mouse. I am God, do your job. And it was talking about the importance of the Christian faith. And how each day we had to depend on the Word of God to give us the food that we needed to live and to be successful. But yet we also had to remember that we needed to take a nap because life is busy, life is hectic. And if we don't take time to rest and to listen and to hear God, if we don't have that 40 days of reset, figuratively and sometimes literally, then we're going to get off track because the world is going to muddy our minds and we're going to be so confused and caught up in everything going on, we're not going to pay attention to God. But then there was a road map that God has a plan laid out for each one of us and a purpose for each one of us. And sometimes you're going to drive through beautiful towns with great scenery and sometimes you're going to drive through towns that you really want to speed so that you can get through there. And the same is true in life. And we saw that with Elijah. He had been on the highway of good times and now he was in Podunk town that he did not care for. But that's part of God's plan as a road map in your journey of faith. And then God's house, quiet as a mouse. The importance, the importance of being reverent to God. 
the importance of specifically having a place that you respect and you consider more important and more sacred and holy than all other spaces in your life so that you can worship God. And then finally, I am God, do your job. That God has given each one of us a mission and a goal and a purpose. And that is what we are to carry out. We're not just to exist. We're not just to simply be. But God has a divine job for us to do. So that was a year ago today. I was looking at my calendar and I realized that. So Elijah is on this journey. He had just seen God move in a wonderful and a powerful way. And it didn't turn out the way that he had wanted it. You ever had a situation like that in life? Something that you were excited about, you were looking forward to, and it didn't turn out that way. And so you get a little jaded, don't you? You get a little frustrated, a little withdrawn. That's where Elijah was. But yet God was still faithful. His character never changed. His disposition never changed. His relationship with Elijah never changed. And I need you to hear that. God's relationship with you never changes. What Jesus Christ did for you on the cross is not decided by what you do and by how you act. And I know a lot of times we don't teach the gospel like that. We teach that you have to be perfect and you have to be wonderful. You've got to do all things right in order to consider yourself a Christian. What we just saw here from a guy that pulled fire from heaven that it's okay to not be okay within yourself. But it's not okay with just being okay in your faith. When we become complacent in our faith, we only begin to look for God to move in big and powerful ways. And we forget that God is faithful even when we're not paying attention. And we forget that God is still working on our behalf if we are His people, even when we're not expecting Him to work. So Elijah ends up at this cave on Mount Horeb, which you would probably know better named as Mount Sinai. And if you know anything about Scripture, Mount Sinai is a pretty stinking important place. It was on Mount Sinai where Moses begged God to let him see his presence. And so God told him to hide his eyes because if he saw his presence directly, he would die. He said, but when I pass by you, you can look at my back. And Moses was blind for a period of, of time after that. It was on Mount Sinai that Moses got the Ten Commandments, the rules by which God's people were to live in order to keep them holy and set apart from the rest of the world. A lot of big things happened on Mount Sinai. So Elijah runs and he hides in this cave. And there are scholars now thinking that perhaps the cave that Elijah hid in was the very same one that Moses hid in when God's presence walked by. How cool would that be, right? Beside the point, I just thought it was awesome. So Elijah's in this cave. And God comes and he asks him this question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then we hear that dialogue where Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. I stood before the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and they've killed all your prophets and now they're coming to take my life as well. God knows that. God already knew that, didn't he? He's God. He knows those things. 
How many times does God have to ask us in our life, what are you doing here? You're in this state of life. You are in this place where you have withdrawn to yourself. You're, you're depressed. You're pulled away from everything. You're not opening your Bible. You're not praying. You're not sharing in community and faith with your friends. What are you doing here? Well, God already knows why we're there, doesn't he? He already knows that work isn't going the best. He already knows that we're so overwhelmed with all the responsibilities that we have that we don't know what else to do besides shut down. God already knows that within us we think that the situation before us is hopeless. And so we don't know what else to do. But if you'll notice, God does something amazing with Elijah. It says that a great wind came by so that it tore at the mountains. But yet God wasn't there. Cliffs were shattering, trees were blowing over, rocks were blowing around like tumbleweeds. But yet God wasn't there. So next an earthquake came. But God wasn't there. Then there was a fire. And the fire was not there. Three amazingly wonderful, powerful displays of nature. That's something that we could only say that God could do at the snap of a fingers, right? I can't go outside and say, let there be a tornado and there be a tornado. I can't go outside and say, let it burn and everything lights on fire. Can you do that? So we would know that if something like that happened on an instance, it would only be God doing such a thing, right? But it says God wasn't there. But after the fire, there was a still, small whisper. I imagine it was a gentle breeze. We don't know if there were words. But Elijah realized that God was there. That God had been there the whole time. From the moment that he first stood before King Ahab in a situation that only an idiot would do. To confront a king of a nation bent on turning thousands of people away from worshiping God. And he confronted him. That God was there in the desert when the stream began to dry up as the birds brought food each morning and each evening. That God was there when he walked up to a widow's house and realized that this was the lady that God sent him to, yet she had nothing to provide for him or herself. And yet God provided that God was there when the little boy died and Elijah said, why would you allow this to happen? You sent me to show this lady who you are and now you took away her son? How do I explain that? That God was there on a mountaintop as the butterflies were in his stomach as he was scared to death that God wasn't going to show up. That God was there for 40 days as he walked into the wilderness not knowing what the next day was going to look at look like not knowing what his future was going to look like now because it looked as though God had left him high and dry you see God's interaction with Elijah was not so much about the widow and her son was not so much about the drought was not so much about the fact that Israel had turned away from God was not so much about the fact that God came down in fire and burnt up an offering. 
the fact that we hear about Elijah's story and the reason why Elijah's story is significant to us is so that we can understand is that God is always there. Hear that again. Every moment of your life, every situation you experience, every valley, every mountaintop, every good thing, every bad thing, every moment you get it right and every moment you get it wrong, God is there. He's always there. And He's always faithful. You know how we know He's always faithful? Because in His Word, we read that from the very beginning when humanity got it wrong, God had a plan. That before you and I were even born and knew that we were sinful beings, God had already made a plan for you and I. That He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not through a great wind, not through a great fire, not through a powerful show and display of His might, but one night in a barn through a little baby, God would conquer nations. God would disprove false gods. God would show that He's always there for His people. That if we would be faithful to God, above our situation, that if we would trust God, even when we get it wrong and things don't turn out the way that we want, that God will prove to us that He is always there, that He is always faithful. And that's why as we sit here today in this room, we can't afford to be complacent in our faith. We can't afford to wake up each day with our faith in Jesus Christ not being the number one reason for living. Not being the number one reason by which we go out into the world. Because God does do amazing and wonderful, powerful things. But yet it's because God is always there. In every situation. Through all of our circumstances and our highs and lows. God is always there desiring to know you, for you to know him, for you to experience his blessings, and for you to grow in an understanding that you were created for a purpose. You weren't created just to exist. You didn't happen just because biology works that way. But yet before you were ever genetically made up, God had already prepared for you and the plan that he has for you. So you can't be complacent with the things that God, the creator of everything, has made with a divine purpose. He has entrusted you with your life because he wants to do amazing things in you and through you. So when you go out this week, don't go out just as a Christian. Go out as a new creation, understanding what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. That what sin had broken, He has redeemed. That what sin had said would surely die, God has given eternal life. That's nothing to be complacent about. That's nothing to put in our back pocket and keep to ourselves, but that is something that needs to go to the world. That is something that everybody needs to hear. And even if they don't respond the way that we would like them to, to understand that God is there.
that perhaps your words didn't change their heart that day, but you planted something within them that they'll remember. That at the moment in their life when they needed to remember the words that you told them, they'll understand it because God is there. So don't be okay with being okay in your faith, but desire to be more and more each and every day because that's what God had planned for you. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, I thank you for Elijah. God, thank you for allowing us to journey with him over these last several weeks. And God, thank you. Thank you for always being there. In our mountaintops, in our valleys, in our ho-hum days, and in our great days, you are always there. Even when we feel that you are not faithful, your faith is still there. Your presence is still there. Your goodness is still there. Even when we feel like you have left us high and dry, you are still faithful. So God, as these people, as your people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, leave this building today, I pray that your spirit would wash over them. And that they would not simply be okay with being a Christian, but they would realize that they have been given new life that conquers death, that they have been given the ability to be the light that shines through the darkness, and that, God, you have called them your own as your people set apart from all the things of the world in order that they might know and experience the goodness of a creator who is always there. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand as you receive this benediction? I've said it 3,000 times over the last six weeks. Don't be okay with just being okay in your faith. Understand that complacency is the number one thing that Satan uses in order to keep us from realizing what God has done in our lives. But as you go out, go out knowing that you go in the name of a creator who spoke you into existence. Go out knowing that you go in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, who redeemed you from what sin had torn apart. And that you go with the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence residing in you, so that you might be able to experience the highs and the lows and know that your God is always there. Amen.